truth, he responded, and sometimes very forcefully. Um, and I appreciate the distinction you tried to make there, Craig. Uh, this morning, I'd like to turn into Genesis chapter 1 again, look at another creation principle. Uh, as I mentioned last time I preached, uh, I think these creation principles are very important because they laid down God's intention for mankind, and they have been um, something that we find under attack today. And we find it under attack because the devil is behind those attacks. He wants to unravel God's creation principles and by so doing wants to destroy mankind. Because these principles are literally so important that if they are violated consistently by humans, they will result in the end of humanity. Uh, Jesus said, uh, Jesus clearly said that if he didn't return, didn't shorten the time, as he put it, all flesh would be destroyed. So. Humans are on their way of destruction, but as Christians, we should stand for these principles. I had an interesting discussion with some of my siblings last week, and we were talking about, we were actually communicating via WhatsApp, and we were, we were talking about this whole topic, of transgenderism especially, and uh, one of them mentioned that, well, we really need to pray. And I said, yes, we do. We do need to pray. I absolutely agree. But I also think we need to confront. We need to hold up truth and not just pray. Pray is important, to pray is important, but to confront and to present truth is also equally important. So in Genesis chapter one, verses 21 to 31, I'm sorry, 27 to 31, we'll read that once again uh, for the third time, uh, but I think it's, I don't think we can overread this scripture and there's so much packed in these few verses. It says, starting in verse 27 of Genesis one, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the first message in this series dealt with subduing the earth, bringing it to a place where it is used by men for the glory of God. Secondly, it had to do with being fruitful and multiplying, filling that earth. In order to subdue it, we have to fill it. We have to be people who do the actual subduing. And now today, we want to talk about the fact that male and female created he them. Now, there's a lot of discussion today about transgenderism, and, and I'll certainly touch on that a little bit, but that's not the primary focus here today. The primary focus that I'd like to make is the way that men and women have been created by God in a particular fashion for a particular purpose. And it's something to be appreciated and enjoyed and worked through. Um, there is, when we, when we look at the word created in verse 27, so, man, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And the Hebrew word there is bara, which is a word that means to shape or fashion or create. 
So it's a word that implies planning and thought. It implies design, intelligent design. And, you know, when we were uh, looking at houses with Brent and Tam, we looked at a lot of houses. We go into those houses and they were designed in different ways by different people. And, but one thing was common. Never once did we walk into a yard and look at a house and say, you know, I wonder how that house came to be. That house must have just, you know, sort of fallen in place somehow. Maybe there was a tornado. You know, Harlan seems to be a tornado magnet. Maybe there was a tornado that threw a bunch of pieces around and they landed together and built this house. Who knows, you know? We don't know how it got here. Never once did we think that, did we? The question was, okay, who built it? When did they build it? Why did they build it? And so on. Because we knew there was a designer who planned and built that house. And by the same, by the same token... Humanity, the creation of humanity, is a sign of an intelligent designer. And these words in the Hebrew imply just that. When it, it's not when God created man, he didn't just say, let there be man, like he did for the animals and for all of other creation. He fashioned man with his hands and then breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. So that implies design and planning by a mind that is capable of so much more than, than ours. You know, we're, we've spent thousands of years since the creation just trying to figure out the most basic parts of it. We don't even know how most of it works. We keep working on it and learning, and the more we learn, the more amazed we are. But God planned it all out and laid it all in place. And then we have two words here. One means male, one means female. Both of those words have with them the concept of maleness or masculinity and femaleness or femininity. They're traits that are not just in humans. They're also in animals. And in fact, it's interesting for those of you who know foreign languages, a lot of languages are gender-based. English is not. Okay, we use the article the for every word, you know, the dog, the cat the pig, the, the, the tree, but German is gender-based, okay? So it's Titeka, the ceiling, and that's feminine. Use the, the, use the article Ti, and then you have uh, Der Boden, or the floor, and that's masculine. Use the article Ter. And then uh, you have other articles, or you have other words, uh, I'm trying to think of a good, good example right now, Das uh, okay, the water, and the word is das, which is the neutral, or the neuter, we call it, the neutered article. And I don't know how this, you know, is tikatza, all cats are feminine in German, and but it's der Hund, all dogs are masculine. And I don't know why that's true, but it just is. And German is not the only one, many of them are gender-based. English is not, English is gender-neutral. But... The thing that's interesting here is the concept of masculinity and femininity is a universal concept that's applied not just to humans, but it's applied primarily to humans. It's the way we're built. It's the way we're made. And it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. <clears throat> there is a tremendous difference between the masculine and the feminine. Have you ever heard, you know, lately here, and we'll talk more about this later, but people talk about toxic masculinity. You heard that term? That's evil. Okay, I, I think the whole concept of calling masculinity toxic is evil because you're attacking God when you say that. 
It's God who formed the masculine. It's God who made men masculine. It's God who made women feminine. And those depths are at the cellular level. Deep down inside of ourselves, in every human cell, there's something that we call DNA. And DNA is just a, it's a strand, a very, 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 very thin strand. So if you have a human cell and you examine that cell, how do you examine it? Do you plop it down on the table and look at it? No, you get a microscope before you can even see it because it's so tiny. And inside that human cell, there's a strand of DNA that's about six feet long. How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because it's so thin. It's so extremely thin. God made that strand of DNA. And on that strand of DNA are, are things that we call chromosomes. And those chromosomes are, have in them a molecule of deoxyribonucleic acid, which is DNA. They have, they have in them that, that, that uh, molecule and they pass it from parents to offspring. So it contains the specific instructions that make up every type of living creature, not just humans, but every type of living creature. So, you know, in, in, the, in the book of Psalms, it says, before I was formed, he knew every member. Every member was written in the book. What's the book? I believe it was the DNA. When a child is conceived, at the moment of conception, you have you know, the sperm and the egg that come together and they form a unique cellular structure with a unique pattern of DNA and that person's complete composition has been decided at birth and then it just acts on those instructions. I want to read some, uh, a little bit of literature to you that came from the Human Genome Mapping Project. In the uh, Human Genome Mapping Project, what they're doing is trying to map DNA and understand DNA so that they can open they can, they can examine DNA under a microscope and understand what it says. And the reason that they want, there's various reasons that they want to do this. One of the reasons that they want to do this is to try to fix genetic diseases. Diseases that cause genetic problems. Where you inherit something, some weakness from uh, an ancestor and they want, want to go in there and they want to splice the DNA and, and work with it and try to fix genetic problems. Another reason is so that they can better understand how we're created. Now, it's interesting that through the study of DNA, uh, they have, it has really confused the evolutionists because they thought they had it all figured out. You know, we started out as ooze and mud and we worked our way to worms and eventually, you know, we became, you know, we became primates finally. These, you know, knuckle-dragging fellows that whoop, 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 went through the jungle and then from there there was chimpanzees eventually started riding, w walking more upright, and out of that came humans. Lo and behold, they had it all figured out. But they found out that if, by looking at DNA that they found in these fossils, that were trapped in these fossils, by examining those and comparing those to modern samples, they found that they really got confused because according to those, humans and chimps were together for many millions of years, and then they separated, and then they came back together, and then they were separated again. That means that humans would have start, had to start marrying chimps. I sort of doubt that that happened. Uh, there were other things that they discovered, like there were certain kinds of dragonflies that had to evolve wings and then de-evolve and then evolve again and de-evolve and then evolve again and de-evolve like four times. So it really confused them. So DNA 
there's a there's a record there's a history there that was left for us and that's embedded in our in our cells today who made that dna i think we all know right the intelligent designer god himself but i want to read a little bit of an excerpt that comes from the human D, uh, genome project and they are explaining in um, layman's terms what a chromosome is and a little bit about chromosomes they say chromosomes are thread-like structures located inside the nucleus of animal and plant cells each chromosome is made of protein and a single molecule of deoxyribonucleic acid i have a terrible time saying that or DNA passed from parents to offspring DNA contains the specific instructions that make each type of living creature unique the term chromosome comes from the Greek words for color or chroma and body soma scientists gave this name to chromosomes because they are cell structures or bodies that are strongly stained by colorful dyes used in research so that they can see them better what do chromosomes do? The unique structure of chromosomes keeps DNA tightly wrapped around spool-like proteins called histones. Without such packaging, DNA molecules would be too long to fit into cells. For example, if all the DNA molecules in a single human cell were unwound from their histones and placed end-to-end, -end, they'd stretch six feet. For an organism to grow and function properly, cells must constantly divide to produce new cells to replace old, worn-out cells. During cell division, it is essential that DNA remain intact and evenly distributed among cells. Chromosomes are a key part of the process that ensures DNA is accurately copied and, and distributed in the vast majority of cell divisions. Still, mistakes do occur on rare occasions. Changes in the number or structure of chromosomes in new cells may lead to serious problems. For example, in humans, one type of leukemia and some other cancers are caused by defective chromosomes made up of joined pieces of broken chromosomes. It is also crucial that reproductive cells, such as eggs and sperm, contain the right number of chromosomes and that chromosomes have the correct structure. If not, the resulting offspring may fail to develop properly. For example, people with Down syndrome have three copies of chromosome 21 instead of the two copies found in other people. And then finally, do all living things have the same type of chromosomes? Chromosomes vary in number and shape among living things. Most bacteria have one or two circular chromosomes. Humans, along with other animals and plants, notice they say other animals and plants because they view us as animals, have linear chromosomes that are arranged in pairs within the nucleus of the cell. The only human cells that do not contain pairs of chromosomes are reproductive cells or gametes which carry just one copy of each chromosome. When two reproductive cells unite, they become a single cell that contains two copies of each chromosome. This cell then divides and its successors divide numerous times, eventually producing a mature individual with a full set of paired chromosomes in virtually all its cells. Besides the linear chromosomes found in the nucleus, the cells of humans and other complex organisms carry a much smaller type of chromosome similar to those seen in bacteria. This circular chromosome is found in microchondria, which are structures housed outside the nucleus that serve as the cell's powerhouses. Okay, and there is one more section. Do males have different chromosomes than females? And listen carefully to this. Yes, they differ in a pair of chromosomes known as the sex chromosomes. Females have two X chromosomes in their cells, while males have one X 
and one Y chromosome. Inheriting too many or not enough copies of sex chromosomes can lead to serious problems. For example, females who have extra copies of the X chromosome are usually taller than average and some have mental disability. Males with more than one X chromosome have Kleinfelter syndrome, which is a condition characterized by tall stature and often impaired fertility. Another syndrome caused by imbalance in the number of sex chromosomes is Turner syndrome. Women with Turner syndrome have one X chromosome only. They are very short, usually do not undergo pu puberty, and some may have kidney or heart problems. Now, it's always interesting to have a health professional sitting in your audience because you know that they know whether you're blowing smoke or not. Um, I, there was a, I won't name names, but some years ago there was someone who would sit in the audience and he'd get out his phone and he'd fact check me. And I thought that was good. Uh, but ask him afterward, did I say something wrong? Because if I did, I want to know because I don't want to continue saying things that aren't true. Um, so don't be afraid to fact check me when I share things like this. But I think it's really important to understand a little bit of the complexity of God's creation and understand that we are not just simple creatures. We are extremely complex, and we reflect an extremely complex and sophisticated creator whose mental or whose, whose ability to understand things is so far beyond our own that we can't begin to wrap our heads around it. Now, it's interesting that it, it talked about the fact that women have X chromosomes and men have X and Y chromosomes, and in procreation, the woman always contributes an X chromosome and the man contributes either an X or a Y chromosome. So what happens if the man contributes an X chromosome? You have XX, you have a girl. What happens if he, he contributes a Y chromosome? You have XY, you have a boy. So men, if you don't like the distribution of children in your family, it's your fault. You didn't know that, but it's your fault. You're the one who caused it because you contributed the wrong chromosome. So the father determines the sex of the child. Isn't that interesting? And according to the University of California, the ratio of boys born to girls is 105 to 100. And that is a, is a fairly consistent ratio across ra races, across nations, across the world. Now, so it's really interesting to me that over here you have, you have people like, like our son-in-law and his family. They have, what, six boys and a girl now? No, five boys and a girl. Five boys and a girl. Uh, his family, he grew up in a, in a family with seven boys and no girls. But he has a brother who has what? Eight girls and a boy? Something like that. And, you know, you have this mix, this strange mix. It's not like you have a boy, then you have a girl, then you have a boy, then you have a girl. That's not how it works. But yet, across the creation, across all of creation, you maintain a fairly level ratio of boys versus girls. Like somebody's orchestrating and synchronizing all this. Well, maybe, maybe somebody is. Isn't that amazing? Our God is, is, is a God of creation. And nobody knows why there's 5% more boys born than girls on average across the years. Nobody knows why. Could be because boys are more prone to kill themselves, right? Because, you know, most of them try by the time they're two. They're constantly doing things that you, you're amazed that they survive. Um, and and it's not, it doesn't just stop at two. You know, you have 25-year-old boys who try to ramp, you know, try to jump a ramp with a, with a four-wheeler or something. Uh, and they do have a higher mortality rate, partly because of things like war. Men are warriors. Uh, partly because of the work they engage in. They engage in more dangerous occupations. Um, it's a, I've, I've had some really interesting, I've listened to some really interesting discussions 
between Jordan Peterson and between some of these feminists who claim that women are underpaid and that men and that men in the United States get paid more for the same jobs. And uh, Jordan has put a stop to that very quickly because he said, now listen, how many men, you, you want equal representation in all occupations, right? All right, did you know that 99.5% of bricklayers are men? So let's, let's change that. Let's make half the bricklayers women. And they're like, well, well, well I, you know, and, and so he would say, okay, let's be honest about these discussions. Men are in more dangerous occupations because that's what they were created to do and to be. And women tend to be in, you know, if you look at, uh, well, we'll talk more about that later, at some of the, some of the breakdowns between occupations between men and women. But it's interesting to me that God not only created on, on, on a, for, for a single family, not only did he create the mechanism for producing children, but across all of creation, across all of humanity, he orchestrates the number of boys that are born versus the number of girls. When you look at men and women, there's a vast difference in physical makeup. For example, with lung capacity, adult men, on average, have a lung capacity of 6 liters, while an adult woman has a lung capacity of 4.2 liters. What does that mean? It means that men can endure when they run much longer than women can. And it also helps underscore the absolute stupidity of taking a man who thinks he's a woman and allowing him to go into a woman's locker room and then to compete with women runners. It's completely unfair. It's like saying, okay, well, we're going to have a race and we're going to allow only, only you know, Volkswagens, let's say, or these, these small cars, maybe Chevy Sparks, but we're going to allow a vet for this person. And there's no difference. Oh, it's, it's fair. It's fair. You know, this is, there is a vast difference between men and women and how they're made up. Men have higher bone density and more bone mass than women. In fact, anthropologists can determine the gender of a person that died thousands of years ago based on the bone structure and density in their skeleton. Because men have stronger bones and bigger bones. They're made to be stronger. You know, my wife comes to me and says, can you help me lift this? And you know, or can you turn this candlelight off for me? Well, that's normal and natural because men were made to be stronger. Muscle mass, on average, men's weight composition is, they have a total muscle mass of about 40%, while women have a muscle mass of about 30%. So that's a 33% difference. Men are much stronger on average than women. They're made to be stronger. They're made to be stronger, faster, and heavier than women. Why? Because they're designed to work and to fight. That's what men are made for. And they're, they're built for those specifications. They're the protectors. They're the providers. That's what they're made to do and to be. Women are designed to nurture and develop children. You know, it doesn't do much good for my greater lung capacity and heavier bone density and, and uh, more muscle mass when my wife hands me a helpless infant. And I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to break this thing because I wasn't built to nurture and care. I mean, if you want to drive a man absolutely crazy, give him an infant to care for for six hours while his wife is away. 
He doesn't know what to do half the time. That little thing just, he doesn't have an answer for it because he wasn't built to nurture and develop. And so I really wish that the feminists would stop thinking that because men engage in certain occupations that women can't, that that somehow makes men more important. They're not more important. I'm no more important than my wife. I just have a different role. God called me to a different role. He made me different. And I need to recognize that difference. And I'm a fool if I don't. Because I have strengths my wife doesn't have, but she has strengths I don't have. And when we blend those together, we make something much stronger because God made us that way. There are mental differences between men and women. Fairly distinct mental differences. Did you know that about 70% of STEM jobs are held by men versus 30% by women? What's a STEM job? Well, it's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. They're analytical jobs. They're jobs that require analysis. And, it, 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 and why is that true? Because men by nature are more analytical than women. On the other hand, women are more intuitive than men. 80.5% of elementary school teachers in America are women, and 19.5% of elementary school teachers are men. And I really feel sorry for those men because they're in over their heads. Women were created to be nurturing and to be able to know how to do the things that little children require just by nature. Now, why are 70% why are of the STEM jobs held by men? Because men are analytical. And engineering takes analysis. Technology takes analysis. You know, have you ever heard a man or a woman argue? Well, you're married. Of course you have. Um, so you have these situations where a woman will look at something from an intuitive perspective. And when she thinks, when they measure brain waves, between men and women and the way they give them the same problem to solve. Men's brains light up in certain distinct areas. This happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. Women, light their whole brain lights up. They see things from an intuitive perspective. And in many cases, sometimes they can't describe why they feel what they feel, but they have a feeling about the situation. They say, well, this is how it looks to me. So, when you have a man and a woman arguing, there tends to be, quite often, the woman will start out by, in, in her part by saying, this is how it feels to me. I have this problem or I have this thing and this is how it seems and she'll start telling you about it and you'll say, well, just do this and then after that do that and then do this. Problem solved. No, problem not solved. Problem, exam problem multiplied at this point. Because you just did the wrong thing. You tried to analyze when that's not how they think. And that's not a bad thing. It frustrates us and it frustrates them because we are different from each other. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But it's not a bad thing. It's, why is it that way? Because it's the way God made us. And I could try to understand her viewpoint, and she can try to understand mine, and we should. But that will never make me a more intuitive creature and my wife a more analytical creature, because that's not how we're wired. We're not made that way. And so it creates a certain tension between men and women. 
a certain, sometimes it's like this, confrontational tension. I heard of a, of a preacher who was preaching to an audience of married couples, and he said, well, all of you who have never had a fight in your life, in your married life, stand up. And there were a couple of married couples who stood up. And he said, well, the rest of you, please kneel down and pray for these liars. Because we do fight with our wives, don't we, men? It's part of working through problems. Because we're made differently. It's interesting that in Genesis 2.18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and he help meet for him. Now, in the, in the King James, it says help meet. The word meet at that time could mean suitable. So when this was translated, it was translated as a help suitable for him. And it's, if, if you look at the Hebrew behind this verse, there is one word for the two words, help meet. It's azir. And it means to succor or help, to go along and and hold things up. And you know, here's what's really interesting to me. That word appears multiple times in the Old Testament. And in most places in the King James, it's translated as simply as help, not help meet. But let me give you an example. Exodus 18.4, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, I want you to, I'm, going to, I'm going to share three verses, and I want you to see if you can pick up a common theme where it talks about the word help here. Let me read that verse again. <clears throat> and the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then there's one in, in Deuteronomy 33.7, And this is the blessing of Judah. And he said, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and be thou an help from his enemies. Deuteronomy 33.26, There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, which rideth upon the heavens in thy help, and in his excellency in the sky. And here's a bonus one from Psalm 115.9. O Israel, trust thou the Lord, he is their help and their shield. What did you notice about that word help in every case? Help from whom? Where was the help coming from? From, from the Lord, from God. And it's the same word that he uses when he may, says he is making us and help meet for us. And I think this is really important because it tells us that the help that God gives us through our wives comes from Him. It's His way of helping us. It's one of His ways of helping us. Not the only one, but it's one of His ways of helping us. Now, why is this so important? Well, I think it's important because we try to cope with the tension between the masculine and the feminine in various ways. Now, the world around us, those who are not Christians, they, they try to cope. They don't try to cope with it. They, they fight about it, literally fight. And like I said before, you hear all, this things, the, all these things about toxic masculinity and this claim that men need to stop being masculine because when they're masculine, they're dangerous. No, they're not. When they're masculine, they're doing what God made them to do. 
And when they try to become feminine, then they become dangerous. So we, how do we deal with it? We joke about it, and we should. You know, there's a lot of jokes about men versus women and my wife versus me, and you, know, you, you, you hear these things, poking fun at each other. But, and we also argue about it. Like every couple has those heated moments when they you know, maybe shake their finger at each other and they really talk things through because they're seeing it from different perspectives. We complain about it. But in the end, we must embrace it and appreciate it because it's how God made us to be and he wants us to bring us together. And so our differences need to become complementary like this and not confrontational like that. Because that's how God helps us. He works through us in different ways. I think that, I think that all of us could tell stories of how at some point in our lives we were helped by our marriage partner, whether it's the woman or the husband. There, were, there have been times when my wife and I have argued about something and I went off to my corner and she went off to her corner and we thought this through and we came back and I said, you know, I see your, your point. No, she said, I just want to tell you that I see your point. And we, we started coming together in our views. And so we formed a collective view, which was better than my view or her view because God made us that way. You know, I've, I've, I cannot give you statistics in regard to this, but I can give you lots of, I won't, but I can give you lots of personal stories of cases where the husband takes the position that I am the boss. What I say goes. The checkbook I control. Wife doesn't need to know anything about it. That's my realm. In every case, virtually every case that, that, that happens that I know of personally, there's a financial disaster because there's not a combined perspective given to finances. On the other hand, when you have a woman who says, listen, I know more than you do. I'm not going to submit to you. I'm going to do what I want. There's disaster as well. Because in neither case are we where God wants us to be. You know, Ephesians 5 talks so beautifully about it. The husband having a sacrificial love for his wife. The same kind of love that Christ had for the church. The kind of love that when there's a knock on the door at 3 a.m., the husband doesn't say to the wife, will you go answer the door? I'm so comfortable and I'm a little scared. I'll stay in here with the kids. What would we call a husband like that? A coward, right? And we should. It's the husband who goes to the door and faces the perspective danger, not the wife, because that's where God put him. But on the other hand, what generally happens when the baby wakes up during the middle of the night? Usually mom takes care of that. She knows how to put that little one to sleep. She knows how to nurture and love. God made us a team. And even if you're not married, even if you're a single person, your attributes as a man or a woman are so important to God because you see things from a perspective that was given to you by God Himself. You need to remember that. The value of that creation. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 1, reading through verse 7, says, 
but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Notice he says here, pass on to the next generation the teachings that God has given, especially teachings that are distinct to gender. Pass those on. Those are really important. Women, teach the women, the young women. Men, teach the young men. Because without these principles, you're going to fail. Because they're creation principles that come from God. So in closing, I'll say this. We were created to reflect God's character. We were made to reflect His character. And men tend to reflect the strength, protection, and fatherhood of God. It tends to be what they, what they display. Women tend to reflect the beauty, patience, and compassion of God. And again, this is true whether you're married or unmarried, whether you have children or not. So let's appreciate those roles that God has given us. And let's live out our lives in regard to the creation principles, knowing that we are what we are. First of all, because we were created in God's image. And secondly, because as Christians, we are being conformed to the image of Christ so that we might display God's creation principles to a skeptical world that is lost, confused, and on its way to hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the distinct gender roles you've given us as men and women. We praise you that you've created us in different ways and that there is a place for each role. And Lord, as we work together and we recognize the place for that role, Lord, we become stronger because we were made in your image to be like you. And you made it that way. And so we ask you to help us to love and appreciate one another and to love and appreciate you, the great creator and designer who made all things good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to open it. Feel free to.